Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. With increased attacks on presidential candidate Bernie Sanders by corporate media, and with reporters, whistleblowers, and truth tellers around the globe under assault, we talked to journalist John Jeter about today's world of news, lies, and videotape. The, the DNC is trapped, right? They're trapped in this lie of this, this web of their own making, and they can't get out, right? They don't have any other cards to play. And on the holiday celebrating what would have been the Reverend Martin Luther King's 91st birthday, activists marched and rallied for a variety of causes related to human rights and human survival. MLK was anti-war. He was also anti-militarism. And we want to keep these ideas at the forefront of today's celebration. All this and more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Even as the Senate impeachment trial of Donald Trump keeps three senators off the presidential campaign trail, a new national poll by CNN shows Senator Bernie Sanders taking the lead nationally for the first time, while a separate NPR-affiliated poll in New Hampshire shows Sanders jumping to a double-digit lead in that state which will be the second primary after the February 3rd Iowa caucus. Crystal Ball, host of The Hill's show Rising, told CNN that the news media's negativity or indifference to Sanders only seems to strengthen his popularity. Honestly, I think if there hadn't been this relentless narrative against him for years that he was unelectable, he would be running away with this thing. More on news coverage of the Sanders campaign later in the show. Meanwhile this week, activists are sounding the alarm over major new developments from the Trump administration. On Thursday, Trump finalized a rule that will allow companies to dump pesticides and other pollutants directly into many of the nation's streams and wetlands. Food and Water Watch said that the new rules drastically reduce the federal government's ability to monitor and regulate high volumes of pollution that could impact drinking water. The new measure will roll back Obama-era Waters of the United States regulations aimed at ensuring wetlands and streams are protected under the 1972 Clean Water Act. Organizations such as Food and Water Watch vow to fight the new rule in court or through other avenues. Also, while in Davos, Switzerland at the World Economic Forum this week, Trump told CNBC in an interview that he would consider cutting Medicare and Social Security in a second term. Entitlements ever be on your plate? Uh, at some point they will be. We have tremendous growth. We're going to have tremendous growth this next year. It'll be toward the end of the year. And at the right time, we will take a look at that. You know, that's actually the easiest of all things, if you look. Responding to the comments, Richard Fiesta, executive director of the Alliance for Retired Americans, said in a statement, quote, the cruel irony of this cannot be overstated. While Davos millionaires may not understand the importance of Social Security and Medicare, 
Millions of Americans who rely on the health and retirement benefits they have earned through a life of hard work do. He added that Americans pay the highest prescription drug prices in the world. This burden and affording other basic necessities make it harder for retirees to make ends meet. Cutting Social Security and Medicare would be a cruel disaster, he said. D.C. Attorney General Carl A. Racine announced Wednesday a lawsuit against Trump's inaugural committee and two other entities that own or control the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. for abusing nonprofit funds to enrich the Trump family. In its lawsuit, the Office of the Attorney General alleges that the inaugural committee, a nonprofit corporation, coordinated with the Trump family to grossly overpay for event space in the Trump International Hotel. Although the inaugural committee was aware that it was paying far above market rates, it never considered less expensive alternatives and even paid for space on days when it did not hold events. The committee also improperly used nonprofit funds to throw a private party for the Trump family, costing several hundred thousand dollars. The lawsuit seeks to recover the amount improperly paid to the Trump Hotel and to direct those funds to suitable nonprofit purposes. And starting with Saturday's Women's March, several different rallies on the King holiday, and at more actions throughout this week, activists have been in the streets for a variety of issues related to human rights and human needs. This week of actions will end on Saturday, January 25th at noon, with a rally in front of the White House as part of the global No War with Iran protests. And finally, the one-woman stage play, The Fannie Lou Hamer Story, Sick and Tired of Being Sick and Tired, starring Mzuri Moyo Mbaye, will be at Prince George's Community College Center for the Performing Arts in Largo, Maryland, for one show only, January 25th at 3 p.m. And those are headlines and happenings. Next are voices of those at Saturday's Women's March on Washington performing the viral women's anthem, A Rapist in Your Path. And after that, voices of those marching to honor the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Stay with us. Patriarchy is our judge. That is 
violador eres tú El patriarcado es un juez Que nos juzga por nacer Y nuestro castigo Es la violencia que no ves El patriarcado es un juez Que nos juzga por nacer Y nuestro castigo
Black Lives Matter contingent at Monday's Martin Luther King Jr. Peace Walk and Parade in Southeast, chanting people power. The parade saw hundreds of people from all across the metro area festively gathered as community organizations marched on the cold January morning. We spoke to several who had come to pay tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy by participating in this annual event. What? We're Calvin Hawkins, at-large council member in Prince for Prince George's County. Okay, so what brings you out at the Peace Walk today, and who do you represent here? I'm representing over 130 individuals who come with me from Prince George's County to be a part of this special, very special day. We are out here walking in the parade in commemoration of all that Dr. Martin Luther King sacrificed in a selfless way for us to have the benefits we are experiencing today. We have a long way to go, but we have come from a very far position, and we are grateful for what Dr. King has done. We have kids out here with us, young people, elderly people. As you see, those two buses there are from Prince George's County, double-deckers. People wanted to be a part of this very important day to talk about jobs, to talk about making our communities more livable, and making our community more peaceful. And we wanted to stand with D.C., particularly Ward 8, and some of the challenges they are experiencing with the uh, high murder rate. I'm Linda Wiley. And so what brings you out to the Peace Walk on this Martin Luther well, King Jr. Well, I'm part Day? of um, Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And uh, we're a national group, and we're trying to make it safe for everybody. We're trying to get people with the guns that shouldn't be out there gone. We have programs for people who do have guns, how to hide them appropriately, safely. Um, we have a survivor's network. Um, I'm a survivor myself. Um, from gun violence and many people who have family members who have died from gun violence and we come out to support communities Martin Luther King in particular Martin Luther King Jr. his message was peace and hope and and that's the message we want is peace and hope and peace peace in particular and just I, I just I just don't have the words. It's just too important to be here today for so many reasons. My, uh, my name is Toby. I'm out here with Pan-African Community Action. We are a grassroots organization of Africans, uh, and we are working for liberation. We're organizing our community for liberation, which means self-determination and coming together to take care of our needs ourselves because we recognize that the state will not do that for us. Right. Has never done that for us and doesn't have an interest in doing that for us. Um, so specifically today we're here for MLK, uh, the MLK Peace Walk. Just to point out the contradictions, the state has no real interest in telling us about the, who MLK really was, who he stood, or what he stood for, you know, the radical and at times revolutionary ideas that he 
he was out there um, working towards and that he ultimately was killed for. Uh, so, you know, we have Iran's in the news a lot right now um, with this, you know, attempt by the state to maybe go into war and a lot of people are seeing through that, which is great. Um, and we're just here to point out that MLK was anti-war. He was also anti-militarism. And we want to keep these ideas at the forefront of today's celebration. Martin Luther King Jr. Day 2020 was a full day of activity for social justice in our region as a number of groups took this timely moment to further King's vision of a world where all can thrive. New Synagogue Project recognized the holiday with its Envisioning Prison Abolition Teach-In where BYP 100 and Georgetown Prisons Justice Initiative gave presentations around organizing against the building of a new DC jail and writing letters to currently incarcerated people. Black Lives Matter DC also held a teach-in on Wednesday of this week to connect Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy to actions to protest the new proposed DC jail. And in Annapolis, Maryland, a coalition of several organizations under the banner of Get Money Out Maryland gathered in King's memory before the State House for its rally against Citizens United. We spoke with the president of Get Money Out Maryland, Charlie Cooper, about the actions aimed to see a constitutional amendment passed to protect politics from corporate money and the rally speakers. It's all about political equality, and it's specifically about the lack of political equality, which we believe has as its root causes uh, perversions of our democracy, especially those created by bad Supreme Court rulings. And so the Citizens United decision is one of many decisions, but it's emblematic uh, in, uh, in seeming to establish a constitutional principle that corporations have constitutional rights, including for-profit corporations. Mm, okay. Uh, and, and in saying that they can spend unlimited amounts to influence elections. And then there, was, um, there are other things that are going on all around the country, voter suppression, uh, we want people to be able to vote, and, and we want everyone to have equal access to the ballot as a voter and as a candidate. And the, both the money system and the voter suppression work against that. Uh, Pastor Delmon Coates of the Mount Ennin Baptist Church, he is a pastor of a 9,000-member church, and at his church he helped us gather some signatures for our uh, work in the General Assembly, over a thousand. And, uh, but he is also the executive director of a group called Our Money that wants to redo the United States budget so that it benefits working people and that it guarantees jobs for everyone who wants to work. And right now the budget in his opinion, is skewed towards the military and, and towards tax breaks for the already wealthy that don't benefit the working person. Uh, so what
what he sees is that the money in politics keeps in office politicians who do the bidding of the already wealthy, of the elite, uh, and that don't create a system that guarantees work for working people uh, and dignified work and well-compensated work. And the country can afford all that, but the uh, stranglehold of moneyed interests on our politicians is what keeps us from having uh, a more favorable uh, economic system for working people. So that he was uh, one of the main speakers. We had Mike Tidwell from the Chesapeake Climate Action Network. Okay. And they are trying to combat climate change. And, of course, they see that the polluters can have a fancy dinner and can, you know, pass out delicious food and drink and other things, <laughs> to, and they can contribute to, to campaigns. And then average working people like us, we can't, we don't, we don't have that act, same access. Mm -hmm. um, so we had several uh, of the Our Revolution groups and the state group, and John Mitchell spoke for Our Revolution about why corporate constitutional rights uh, is an invalid concept. And then we had people that talked about how uh, unfair political system is impacting them personally. We had Antoinette Wortham, who is working with our national ally. That group is called Wolfpack. And uh, she came from Ohio, and she went to a rally earlier in the day in Washington, and then she came to Annapolis. And her adult daughter died several years ago uh, because she was that she didn't have good enough insurance, and the daughter was rationing insulin. She was a type one diabetic. And Miss mm. wow. Worsham has seen how the the lobbying and the campaign contributions by the pharmaceutical industry keeps these prices high. She told us that the same drug made by the same US manufacturer costs ten percent in Canada of what it costs in the United States. Those were just some of the actions in our area on a memorable commemoration of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday this year. To find out how you can support Get Money Out Maryland, visit them at www.getmoneyoutmd.org. From Southeast DC, this is Chantal James. Somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't gonna let any dogs a water hose is turn us around. We aren't gonna let any injunction turn us around. We young, we strong, we much love they love. We young, we strong, we much love they love. We young, we strong, we much love they love. We young, we strong, we much love they love. We young, we strong. We're much more than love. We're much more than love. We're much more than love.
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum, and it's the fourth Friday already of January 2020, so time for our deeper dive into culture and media. And there's actually so much going on this month. And joining me again for this dive is journalist John Jeter, former foreign correspondent for the Washington Post and author of Flat Broke in the Free Market, How Globalization Fleeced Working People. He joins us from Limon, Costa Rica. Welcome back to On the Ground, John. Thank you for having me, Esther. So, John, like I said, there's so much. We can't give every important media story the time it deserves, but let's start with how and why a major cable network has finally been called out for its biased coverage of Bernie Sanders. Remind us, because we may have forgotten how it came to be that hashtag CNN is trash or hashtag CNN is garbage was actually trending on Twitter last week. Well, I think it was the debates in which they certainly carried water for Senator Warren and her really outlandish, undocumented claims that Bernie Sanders is a sexist. And I I think that's going to tend to backfire both on CNN and on Senator Warren. We're already seeing that. But I think people are so outraged by that. You know, despite the fact that the coverage of Sanders tends to be negative uh, to neutral, uh, he is tremendously popular. And I think that any attack on him at this point is going to eventually end up in backlash. Right. And when you said that, I also remember that since then, the New York Times has come out to endorse uh, Warren and Klobuchar. Right, which is uh, ridiculous. I've never heard of a newspaper endorsing two uh, candidates to be the nominee for the Democratic Party. That's just, that's, I've never heard of that. Well, I'm going to play a clip uh, from the debate. And I have to admit, I'm, I'm actually surprised that I am surprised when a black journalist parrots the same bias questions or analysis that is so anti the people, you know, and supports yes. empire. And, you know, a voice inside me says, Esther, you know, that's why they're there. That's why they're in that position. Right. But, you know, and on this show, you know, we've aired segments exposing that MSNBC crew like Malcolm Nance and, you know, Joy Reid. And there was actually a recent YouTube takedown of Jason Johnson and and MSNBC contributor. But I must have stared like at the TV, like with my mouth open, you know, actually, when I heard Abby Phillips question Bernie Sanders during the debate, you know, I'd never seen her before in those rare times that I'd like channel surfed onto CNN. And there were so many attacks on Sanders during the debate. But this is the one that is talked about the most when Phillips questioned Sanders about allegations that he told Warren in a private conversation in 2018 that a woman cannot be elected president. Let's not turn to an issue that's come up in the last 48 hours. Senator Sanders, CNN reported yesterday that, and Senator Sanders, Senator Warren confirmed in a statement that in 2018, you told her that you did not believe that a woman could win the election. Why did you say that? Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. (laughs) Uh, And I don't want to waste a whole lot of time on this because this is what Donald Trump and maybe some of the media want. Uh, Anybody knows me, knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman could not be president of the United States. Go to YouTube today. There's a video of of me 30 years ago talking about how a woman could become president of the United States. In 2015, 
I deferred, in fact, to Senator Warren. There was a movement to draft Senator Warren to run for president. And you know what? I said, stayed back. Senator Warren decided not to run, and I did, I did run afterwards. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes. How could anybody in a million years not believe that a woman could become president of the United States? And let me be very clear. If any of the women on this stage or any of the men on this stage win the nomination, I hope that's not the case. I hope it's me. <laughs> but if they do, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are elected in order to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of our country. So Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? I disagreed. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. But look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Okay, so that's the portion of the debate that has been signaled the most as a, as emblematic of how biased the debate was. There was a lot of other stuff from Wolf Blitzer, from the Des Moines the Register reporter even, but that seemed to take the cake. Yeah, you know, I wish I was teaching this year because I think we're going to see a lot of examples, a lot, a lot of textbook examples of what an empire looks like when it's desperate. And what you just heard there in that clip is a prime example of what, I think it was actually Frederick Engels who coined the term false consciousness. That is the media joining with Elizabeth Warren trying to groom, nurture this false consciousness in the minds of the voters. It's not going to work. The, the problem they have is that Bernie Sanders is the only candidate offering the number one thing voter, you could almost call this a single issue presidency, Medicare for all. And he offers that. No one else offers that. And that's why he is the hands-on favorite to be the next president of the United States. And the media and uh, the Democratic Party is shaking in their boots. Well, it appears that many Americans agree with you. And they recognize that bias kind of back and forth between Phillips and Sanders as a setup by CNN. And so since then, I think, as you mentioned, you know, he's continued to lead in the polls in Iowa and for the first time actually surged to number one in national polls, even in CNN's own poll, which they, of course, are downplaying right now. Right. Um, and at the same time, this attack comes that, you know, there are other hits on Sanders and it, it almost seems coordinated. But, you know, you don't want us to be accused of being conspiratorial, but... The New York Times came out with not only that endorsement of Klobuchar and Warren, but also what was a very biased interview with Bernie Sanders, you know, compared to how they treated you know, Biden with kid gloves and kind of in glowing terms, you know, saying, you know, Biden command the boardroom or something like, you know, I almost thought that Biden looked like he was exhumed, you know, on the debate. But like something dug up. That's what he looked like. He just looked kind of dried up. You know, you know what they say, uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. And I do think this is a conspiracy in terms of the Democratic Party and the media feeling as though they're in a tripartite alliance with Wall Street. And they're all basically trying to block this nomination by Bernie Sanders, which I think 
barring something really momentous by the DNC is inevitable. But they are desperate because, of course, one thing they do not want to surrender because it's, it's, a, it's such a source of profit is health care, single-payer health care. They don't want to deliver that. And so that's the main thing. Of course, there are other things as well. And just, just the fact that Bernie Sanders is exciting those people uh, within the Democratic Party whom the, the Democrats really, the, the establishment, doesn't want to excite. They don't want to have young people and black people and Latinos uh, and Latinas excited about politics because that creates expectations. And so you see the media, I think, and you'll see them, especially, I think, in this year. What, what's the saying by Zora Neale Hurston? Some years ask questions, some years give answers. We're about to get some answers this year, Esther. Well, I don't know if the DNC or the corporate Democrat establishment is ready for those answers. The last part of this concerted attack in the last two weeks has come from Hillary Clinton. You know, she was quoted in an interview saying that nobody in, likes Bernie in D.C. And I, I don't know if she's projecting onto him her own faults or whatever. But, you know, in the past, she has tried to link Sanders to Russia. And related, uh, Tulsa Gabbard just sued Hillary Clinton for $50 million for defamation of character. And in line with the same DNC, you know, Russia obsession, uh, Consortium News has also sent a libel notice to a Canadian spy agency and a major broadcaster after they reported that Consortium News, you know, founded by the, you know, late Robert Perry, a uh, real journalism hero, saying that, you know, Consortium News is part of a Russia-directed propaganda campaign targeting Canadian leaders. So this is all... And even in terms of the impeachment hearing and how that's being covered, you know, all of this is still going back to the same DNC hoax that they started around Russiagate. And it's, it's, it's coming to the present. It's coming up to the present. And I, it seems like they're going to be happy to con- kind of continue this same hoax into 2020 through the rest of this presidential campaign. Oh, I, I agree completely. They don't have any other cards to play. They've been dealing from the bottom of the deck because this is the last card they have to play. It says Russiagate hoax. And the problem is that it's not true. It's demonstrably not true. You can counter the argument that Russia downloaded those emails from the DNC server by the simple fact, and this has been proven, that you had to have actually have been present, physically present in the DNC offices, certainly in Washington, D.C., I believe, to have downloaded those emails at that speed. We know this. This is documented. This is not refutable, right? Russia could not have done it. You couldn't have done it at that speed, at least at that time, right, from Russia or from any place outside of Washington, D.C. So we know these things. And so the, the DNC is trapped, right? They're trapped in this lie of this, this web of their own making, and they can't get out, right? They don't have any other cards to play. And the problem is that as we, as we move along, you know, the, the country is in crisis. We've been in crisis certainly since 2008 and really, really since, you know, 1975 when this whole sort of neoliberal Project. regime kind of descended upon us and people are fed up and they're tired and they see that neoliberalism is an abject failure and they want solutions. They want it now. Well, on that note, uh, I want to take a brief break. I'm talking to journalist John Jeter and we'll be right back.
This is On the Ground, on thegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum, and I'm in conversation with journalist John Jeter for this month's deep dive into culture and media. John, I wanted to turn our attention toward outside the borders of the United States and, you know, ask you to put on your former foreign correspondent hat. Cyber charges have been brought against journalist Glenn Greenwald. He's one of the founding editors of The Intercept. And this seems to stem from his publication of leaked material from uh, from a whistleblower about the corruption of the Bolsonaro administration and how the prosecution of Lula was was unjust and and basically fixed. And since then, Lula has been released and been out putting on rallies and rallying up his base because he was the most popular Brazilian political leader, and he would have won the election against Bolsonaro if he had not been imprisoned. So there was a rally in support of Glenn Greenwald outside the Brazilian embassy here in D.C. on Thursday. And here is Leonardo Flores, head of the Latin American Working Group for Code Pink, speaking at the rally. We're here not just to defend Glenn Greenwald, but to defend freedom of the press and journalists everywhere. All our solidarity goes out to Glenn and as well to Julian Assange, to Consortium News. And right here in D.C., we had journalist Max Blumenthal harassed and or falsely arrested by the police. We had independent journalist Alina Duarte. Her home was vandalized here in D.C. and her family received death threats in Mexico because of the coverage that she was giving to Latin America. So this isn't a problem that's uh, just in Brazil. It's, it's a global problem right now, and it's, it's a reaction by these authoritarian governments around the world that are trying to stifle information, that are trying to stifle democracy, and that are trying to stifle journalists and citizen activists. In Brazil, it's particularly egregious because, as some, many of the other speakers mentioned, Glenn Greenwald was one of the key investigative journalists uncovering the corruption within Operation Car Wash. Operation Car Wash is itself uh, an investigation into corruption at all levels of Brazilian society, and it turns out that this investigation itself was deeply corrupt. It was responsible for the ouster of President Dilma Rousseff. It was responsible for the false imprisonment of President Lula da Silva. It was responsible for the rise of Bolsonaro in Brazil. Bolsonaro is someone who's been attacking the press since he was elected, 
the National Federation of Journalists in Brazil recently came out with a statement saying that he threatened the press on 220 occasions in 2019 alone. So again, that was Leonardo Flores of Code Pink speaking outside the Brazilian embassy on Thursday at a rally in support of Glenn Greenwald. And so, you know, with all the examples he gave, you can see that these uh, alleged charges against Greenwald are just a part of a pattern of attack uh, on journalists who are speaking truth to power, at least across the globe. Of course, yes. I mean, Bolsonaro is a mini Trump. He is stylistically a mini Trump. He is in terms of his policies. He's a mini Trump. Why is that? Because we're the same countries. Brazil and the United States are effectively one and the same. These two countries settled by Europeans in the so-called New World, and they have an invested interest in maintaining this colonial control over the people who built the country, right? Bolsonaro is part of that clique, mostly European, who owns the country, and just like Trump is. And, of course, they're in this war, as they would, as they would phrase it, against people, the people who built the country, blacks, mestizos there, Latinos here. It's the same tension. It's really the same uh, milieu. So another scandal, really, very unreported story, which is related to, I think, a big international scandal, is the fact that this week at the UN, the head of a former team for the OPCW, this team that, that investigates chemical weapons, he testified before the United Nations that the report they did on the alleged attack of chemicals in Syria was basically doctored and uh, replaced with basically a fake report with the United Nations. And based on this fake report that Assad, President Assad in Syria had used chemical weapons on his own people, the United States launched a missile attack on Syria. So the fact that we're just experiencing now a situation where the U.S. under basically what appears to be a lie assassinated Iran's you know top general. And now we're hearing from the U.N. that the U.S. was part of a campaign to pressure OPCW to produce this false report that led to a U.S. attack on Syria. We really have to recognize this as being a real scandal and something that the media is not paying attention to at all compared to how they drummed up this uh, attack on Syria, you know, saying that, you know, for the first time, Trump looked presidential because he struck this occupied country battling terrorists. Yeah, the, the truth is inconvenient for the media now as it doubles down on this campaign to sort of consolidate power for the elites, for the 1%. And Syria is a prime example. Syria is Exhibit A. What the rest of the world knows about Syria is that the United States is trying to do to Syria what it's done to Libya. They won't let that happen because they realize if you let Syria fall and then Iran will be next, and then if you're Russia or you're China, then you might be next. And so they're not going to let that happen. And they are addressing the situation in that vein. The United States, of course, is trying to duplicate what they did in Libya. And they don't want the facts to get in the way. They don't want the fact that there are not weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Iraq. They don't want the fact that Soleimani was a, a military man who was invited to Iraq by the Iraqis. Uh, they don't want that fact to get in the way. Um, they don't want you to understand that 
Iran doesn't have nuclear weapons. Israel does. Israel has, as we know, 385 of them or somewhere around that area. Why aren't we dealing with Israel as harshly as we are Iran? The narratives that the, the Western world is trying to promote in this world have almost no facts underneath them. And this, these contradictions are becoming very, very clear. And the mess in Syria is really the exhibit A in that failure. And so, of course, the a Newsweek reporter, Tariq Haddad, resigned from Newsweek in December because the magazine refused to publish his report about this uh, scandal. And so, yeah, and so, you know, you have report, you have reporters resigning and then you have, I mean, it's almost the same as CNN being outed for its bias coverage. The fact that Newsweek had a, an experienced reporter who is trying to report the facts and Newsweek certainly didn't want the facts to come out. What is their argument for not wanting that, not wanting to publish that report? Why is that not newsworthy? Why is that not relevant? Right. So then you have people, they're just outed for, for their bias. So maybe two more things. Twitter res, uh, suspended several accounts related to these countries that the U.S. is attacking. So accounts in Venezuela, Iran, and Syria. And included in this erasure are like heads of state, uh, state institutions, media outlets, and average people. And so this is something to watch for because... As we get further into this election year, it seems as though a lot of these social media platforms, and I know that you have your own battles <laughs> with them, um, are really being shown to be, you know, arms of the state as opposed to independent media outlets. And it's really, it's really dangerous because they have so much power and they can basically control what people see and hear and watch and, and everything. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I, you know, earlier I had mentioned this sort of tripartite alliance between Wall Street, uh, the Democratic Party, and the media. Uh, really, we need to add Silicon Valley to that uh, because they're increasingly becoming, like you said, another arm of the state. What we're seeing is this moral panic that the world they have built is crumbling, and it is crumbling, right? You can't, it's a Potemkin village. You can't keep this upright forever. And it's starting to crumble, and they're panicking. And so you see Twitter doing these outlandish, I would argue, almost criminal things, like you know, trying to keep the Americans from, from seeing or hearing any kind of countervailing narrative, any kind of truth, as it were. And it's really a sign of the times. And this, uh, again, this moral panic that's starting to sweep over uh, the establishment in the Western world. Well, maybe that's a good note to go to our final topic, which is the continued imprisonment of Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning. And during one of the most recent appearances by Assange in court, he appeared very disoriented. The UN uh, rapporteur on torture said that he believes that uh, Assange has, is the victim of torture and uh, psychological torture, that his imprisonment is really out of totally out of line with the charges against him and that basically he's just being set up for those who want to try to extradite him to Virginia here 
where Chelsea Manning is actually in prison for refusing to participate in a, a, a grand jury, a secret grand jury to build um, evidence to bring him to the United States to face charges on espionage, even though he is not a U.S. citizen and the whole espionage charges really should not apply to him anyway. You know, and he's a journalist. He's 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 published leaked information, which is vital to the people understanding what's happening in the world. But it has definitely struck a blow against empire and uh, hence the panic that you're talking about. Yeah, Julian Assange. He reminds me of the of the old line by uh, Fred Hampton, the assassinated chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party. You know, you're left with answers that don't answer conclusions that don't conclude, explanations that don't explain. And that's what Julian Assange represents. Why is this man being charged with espionage when he's an Australian citizen? Why is he not, why is his journalism not protected? And, and, and I'll leave you with, with one more, which I think is really the, the crux of the, of, of the case and the crux of our downfall as a nation, which is, uh, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, the two best journalists alive right now are Julian Assange and Mumia Abu-Jamal. Why are both men in jail? Hmm. Well, that is, a, that is a question. Maybe that is the right question and the right point to end this segment. Uh, and, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, you're like asking me, but I certainly think that, you know, we know that those who speak truth to power those journalists who, and even if they're not journalists, but also we have to count whistleblowers as well. Like, any, uh, any and yeah, any, any anyone, any truth teller, I'm thinking about Edward Snowden, you know, I'm thinking about John Kiriakou, who we interviewed not that long ago, you know, any truth teller, anyone who is giving that, what you call inconvenient truth, we see right now that the empire, the government, corporations, the whole neoliberal establishment that supports the 1% is going to come down on these people, our colleagues, our friends, any of us who uh, want to speak truth to power. So those of us who care deeply about, you know, being a journalist, about fulfilling the role that we came into the field to do are staring at that reality right now. And we want to, keep on lifting up the name of Julian Assange, lifting up the name of Chelsea Manning, Mumia Abu-Jamal, Glenn Greenwald, Edward Snowden, John Kiriakou, all the journalists who, uh, Gary Webb, all the journalists yeah, who have stood up to speak truth to power and, and deliver what were obviously inconvenient truths. Uh, on that note, I wanted to give this address there's a an address that if you want to write Chelsea Manning, this this is an address I found on Medium. It's Chelsea Elizabeth Manning, A zero one eight one four two six, A zero one eight one four two six, William G. Truesdale Adult Detention Center, two thousand one Mill Road, Alexandria, Virginia. Two two three one four, and I'll try to put that address on our website on thegroundshow.org, and that way anyone who wants to write her can do so. 
Chelsea Elizabeth Manning, A0181426, William G. Truesdale Adult Detention Center, 2001 Mill Road, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. I've been speaking with journalist John Jeter, former foreign correspondent for the Washington Post and author of Flat Broke in the Free Market, How Globalization Fleeced Working People. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Esther. And that will do for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. You can contact us, work with us, support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter under On the Ground Show. And we are on iTunes and Google Play under the title WPFW On the Ground. The music we played this hour included Hell You Talk About by Janelle Monet, a mix of music by Esborn Swenson Trio and a sermon by the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and Stevie Wonder, Higher Ground. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace.